You're listening to This Week in E-Commerce, the Ecom Nation podcast. Dive into the top online retail headlines with your hosts, Paul Waddy and Mal Chia. Let's load up the cart. We're back this week in e-commerce with Mal Chia, and not with me today is not Paul Waddy, but instead we have someone better. This is James Byrne, General Manager of Ecom Nation. Welcome, James, back to the show. Hey, thanks, thanks, Mal. And um, look, better than Paul—that's uh, that's probably debatable, but I'll take it. <laughs> well, you showed up. You showed up, so that's that, that's a good thing. So. <laughs> It's a low bar. It's a low bar, right? Oh, God, <laughs> Paul, no, we love you. Of course we do. Yeah. <laughs> and how are you this week, James? Oh, good. Yeah, hay fever's kicking in, which is always fun at this time in September. But other than that, all good, mate. Yep. Fantastic. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, we have an action-packed show, as always, uh, and a lot of good news. After the last several episodes where every week we always just seem to be going on about something which is which is a downer in the industry, whether it's like a retail recession or this business going under or various things like that. There was actually a really great week of good news in the uh, in, in the in the in the online retail sector, which I'm very, very happy about. Um so before we dive into that, um I'm just going to re- actually, well, we'll just dive, gonna dive straight into it, actually. So I'm not sure. I just had a mind blank there. Um, it was Princess Polly. So Princess Polly, owned by AKA Brands, also the owners of Culture and King's Pedal and Pup, um, the big umbrella e-commerce retail um, uh, uh, corporation, um, have recently opened their first ever US store. So this is fantastic um, for for a couple of reasons. Like for, number one is that I'm always a, I've been a big fan of omnichannel, um, particularly for pure play to be able to take that next step. You do need to launch into the physical retail space, um, and this kind of shows the, that that the Princess Polly recognise that. You know, just like Culture Kings have their amazing store experiences, Princess Polly have now opened their first ever store, not just in like not in Australia, but in the US, um, and it looks. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty amazing, um, actually. So, James, what are, what are your thoughts on the physical retail and, and omni-channel space? Do you think it's something which uh, which more retailers, when they get to a certain size, should be looking at? It's interesting, actually. I, I'm sort of reminded, like, this is obviously, this is the reverse of something that I experienced a little while ago when um, in the agency space when I had a, a, a client come to me and say, I could open another store, that'd be really easy, but I want to try the online space. This is kind of the reverse of that, where, you know, the they started as a sort of an omni, they went pure play e-commerce and now they're back in this omni experience because the timing's right for them to play in that market again, which I think is really exciting. Um, I think the, the, like you point out, the that in-store experience is really important. Um, I think you can do so much online to build a brand and you can build an experience. Um, there is something to being able to walk into a store, interact with human beings that kind of a, a part of that brand, you know, hold the material as you're, as you're using it um, and playing with it that, that is hard to replicate or impossible to replicate in an online environment. So it's another aspect. Um, and I think it's, it's when, when the timing's right, it's, it's a, I think it's a huge opportunity to really develop the brand. Now, like, I don't know, and maybe you can tell me, the, I don't know how big Princess Polly is within the US market. Is this, is this going to help them expand in that market? Is this, is this kind of a, another launch point for them, or, or are they already established? I think they're very much still on the growth curve in um in in the US uh, that's kind of why AKA acquired them to be able to launch and grow them in the US similar to Culture Kings as well um so i think they're they're 
not necessarily early in the journey, but they're, they're not at maturity yet. They're probably at that scale phase in their journey in the US, I would say. But I think it sends a signal though. And that's why I think, you know, launching bricks and mortar, opening bricks and mortar, even though people can't access it, it does signal a statement of intent. It says that, hey, we are a serious retailer. Um, and, and it's those signals, which I think that customers are looking more and more for, particularly post COVID, um, and in the current economic climate. People want to look to brands who, which they can trust, brands who they think are going to be here for the long term, not fly-by-night brands, you know, not dropship brands, which may or may not be legitimate or have decent product quality or things like that. They want to look at things which they feel are going to have that quality, are going to provide value other than, you know, just a low price tag. And one of those things is about the brand and building a brand, you know, sends such a signal and adds so much value. And we've talked about this before. Um, and mm. I guess the story we could probably dig into at a later date is looking at Lululemon, where Lululemon, uh, they, they had 18% gross and net sales, gross sales and net profit growth in the last yep. quarter, which is absolutely phenomenal. And it's all on the strength of they've got an amazing brand. And I think yeah, this just helps Princess Polly establish a really great brand. It's a planted flag, isn't it? It's 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 saying that that we're here for we're we're here to be here, and we're here to, to kind of really, um, you know, for the long term, and we we have these aspirations. It kind of implies all those things. Maybe those things that a, that a typical consumer wouldn't be able to articulate just by no, noticing that there's a new store that's opening. But for those that watch the space, or for those that have interacted with Princess Polly, and they now get to see, oh wow, there's a retail experience that now. Uh, I guess uh, uh, as an as an as a side project, or not a side project, as an aside to the online space, there's this retail experience they could have as well. It, it further legitimizes the brand. It further legitimizes the the the, the business in that space. And I think uh, you know it's a hugely hugely positive thing for. Yeah, fantastic. And on a similar note as well, uh, I, I wasn't sure whether to mention this. It, it is kind of a fun story. So you know, I am going to mention this. Um, LSKD, my my good friends at LSKD. Uh, have recently unveiled a retail store on wheels. Uh, anyone who's been watching the retail space would know that they have been on an absolute tear the last few years. And in terms of opening up that bricks and mortar, they are doing it faster than anyone else. Um, so I think they're up to six or seven different stores around Australia, and they've got one in San Diego as well. But they don't just have stores now, do they? They now a have a BAF. <laughs> the big as F. Double decker bus. Um, and this is really cool. I really like this actually that they are launching the Chase the Vibe tour. Um, Chase yeah. the Vibe, as, as a lot of people might know, is one of their values. Um, and again, it's like, you know, and another one of the values is about building community. So they're, they're two of the values which are bringing together by this, you know, and showing that, you know, communities can be built online, but once you build it to a certain point, it, it, nothing beats actually building it in person. So I love the idea that they've taken this bus and they decked it out with like, um, with like, with 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 uh with subwoofers, lighting, TVs, couches, fridge, rehab zones, um, workout equipment, workout so you can equipment go there massage on the bus, guns. train, recover. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty crazy. Like I'm super excited to to visit this at one of its um many stops around Australia, uh, because it's it's an extension of the brand. Yeah, and it says again, it sends a signal to everyone that we care about you. We want to come out to you, um, which is amazing. Oh, so I got the number wrong. They're up to their eighth retail location, um, which they opened at um, Carindale, um, which is seven in Australia, one in the US. Uh, but I, I love this. I, I love this. It's just such a it's a, such a crazy idea, but it just fits their brand so well. 
Yeah, I mean, you you know, like you know, my background, and I've spent a bit of time in agencies that are that are very focused on helping develop brand. I love this. I love that. A, I love someone like LSKD understands their brand, understands how this fits into their overall space, and yeah, put. Putting something like this out there is, is so consistent with who they are and their their customers will absolutely just get it, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that. So, look, I'm excited to go see it when it's, when it's here. James, will you be visiting the LSKD BAF? Yeah, look, if I, I, they've said they're going to be coming all around Australia to – what does it say here? And, I'm, and you know, you'll have to have to um, – I mean, just reading this straight off the, the inside retail piece, but, you know, visit local fitness communities, gyms, outdoor community centres, run clubs, boot camps, fitness centres, charity fundraisers, partners, and much more. So kind of seems like it'd be hard to not visit it, but yeah, like, absolutely. It'd be one of those things and they're a brand that I really like. So um, I, I'd, I'd love to go out and, and sort of see this and be part of that experience. Yeah, it'll be a hell of an experience. Uh, and I, I wonder how many other brands will attempt to follow suit as well with their own mobile experiences. Uh, it's oh, actually yeah. funny. I actually pitched um, at back when I was at Rideaway, I actually pitched something like this uh, to actually get someone, one of our athletes like Kai Green on a bus and just take him around to like all the major bodybuilding gyms, you know, around just to do like, you know, um, posing exhibitions and things like that. We never could quite that get, get that off the ground, largely due to COVID. Um, but I'm glad that someone has kind of taken that idea and, uh, and, and, and run with it in the fitness space. I saw actually. But maybe that's also an important thing to note, right? The, day, yeah. the important message out of this and the important lesson to, to gain from this is not that buses are the new retail environments. Um, I don't, I really don't want to see lots of brands suddenly bring out their own bus, right? That would be the wrong, learning the wrong lesson from this kind of move. It's really an opportunity mm. to kind of go, what is the expert, you know, what fits within our, uh, our marketing sort of style? What fits within our tone of voice? What is, what will complement the brand and doing something that will surprise and delight their customers? This is perfect for, for LSKD. It's not perfect for every brand. And like kudos to them for putting it together because I, I, I doubt it wasn't necessarily an easy pitch to go, hey, I'd love to get a bus. But, you know, the, but at the same time, once you think through it, it goes, yeah, it makes sense. You, you start talking about, you know, if Princess Polly got a bus from the previous story, I don't know that that would necessarily resonate in the same way. So I think it's really one of those things that the lesson learned is don't go get a bus. The lesson to learn here is like what will fit and what's going to be the best thing for your community <laughs> and then go service your community because that will just build your brand. I love that. I love that. Um, and if anyone's wondering where Paul is, I've just got a message. He is currently on a ferry to Manly. <laughs> of course he is. So, there you go. <laughs> All right. So our big story for the week, which we're going to cover, is that Maya have just recorded the highest full year of sales since 2005. Um, and again, amidst all the doom and gloom, um, we've, we've covered David Jones's, uh, problems, um, with, um, challenges, I should say, with, uh, in great detail, um, in, in an episode quite a while ago. Uh, but Maya, the other behemoth of the department store scene, obviously a legacy brand, um, have recorded 12.5% increase in sales growth, uh, in FY22, um, which the largest increase since FY05. Which is a phenomenal result, uh, where they, they had sales totaling 3.36 billion. And a few things which really caught my eye is that a lot of this they've credited to their, again, their move into omnichannel, um, where they've looked at their multi-channel offering as being a key part of why they've been able to grow. Um, so they've cited their omnichannel offering, particularly with the growth of online, which delivered some $600 million, um, $691 million over that financial year as being a large reason for that. Their Maya One loyalty program, so leaving flybys and setting up Maya One, um, has continued to grow, delivering 21% growth. 
uh, and also uh, better merchandising as well, giving people a reason to to come back to the um, come to their stores where where they previously might have might have left. James would love to hear your your thoughts. Have you have you shopped in my lately? Uh, I haven't, um, but my but, but my wife Leah has uh, has certainly. Um, and it's interesting actually because I was thinking about the My One program because like loyalty programs are one of the things that I, I I personally really like to look into, and I think that there's done well. They can be such an important part of an e-commerce business, right? So. <clears throat> One thing that always sort of stuck out to me when Maya was very much on the flybys sort of bandwagon as part of that sort of wider industry group was that flybys didn't feel like Maya. Flybys feels like Coles. Mm. It doesn't. It feels like Kmart. It doesn't feel like Maya. So it, it really was. It led to, I guess, a level of of oh, the Maya experience is a premium one, and flybys even the name doesn't feel like a premium experience. Creating Maya One in that sense would have probably been, again, one of those scary things to pitch, right? But again, makes sense in hindsight when you look at, as a loyalty program, my people want to have, you know, my customers, this loyalty program fits for them and it works for them. So I think it's a, a really clever thing. And to see it called out specifically is like, hey, this is a customer customer loyalty proposition that's driving people back in store and online, that, you know, having a loyalty program that kind of works cross platform. Amazing, really, really mm. kind of, I guess, really a good way to run a loyalty program and expand a loyalty program. Um, you know, the, mm. everything else that's mentioned yeah, in these articles. No, everything else that's mentioned in these articles is really, really important as well. But the law, it's the loyalty thing that really sticks out to me. Mm. Interesting, because I think on the loyalty side, I look at a brand like Maya being able to actually drive create better loyalty than, you know, I guess uh, a women's fashion brand, um, just because they have such a depth, a breadth of products as well. You know, they they can go deep and they can go wide on a number of things. So being able to create that and create that brand around that and create that stickiness around bringing people back, um, I think it makes a lot of it, it works. Obviously, works great for them. Um, and they were actually cited as being one of the top five loyalty programs in the CanStar Blue awards recently i believe top five or maybe top 10 um the number one actually was uh was flybys as being the number one loyalty program and i think a lot of people now with you know tightening wallets and things like that are now looking more towards loyalty they're looking more to shop back and just really looking to where they can get more value um you know in, in the things which they need every day um and i think you know maya obviously with with everything they have you know across fashion homewares etc um you know like, you always walk past the, the, the perfume store, the, the perfume section right, yeah. in the uh, in the Rundle Mall store here in Adelaide. Um, with those sort of things, there's, there's a lot for people to come back and buy. Um, and I haven't shopped in Maya for a little while, but funnily enough, my, my wife actually bought some tapware of all things from right. them yesterday, which is just like I would never have thought to buy tapware from them, but that's where we ended up. And the merchandising side as well also caught my eye, um, that – They've done some smart merchandising, obviously, because we're buying tapware from them. And it seems like, you know, they're, they're crediting that to be a big reason why. And it goes again to having a really smart buying. You can't just buy everything, but you need to know what you're buying. You need to know who you're buying it for. So clearly they've done a really good job of that. Whereas I think when, when I reflect on David Jones from a few months ago, they had a different challenge where they were actually sitting on a lot of excess inventory. They were sitting on a lot of brands, perhaps through poorer buying. You know, and similar with other bigger retail brands as well, um, which we won't name, um, they're currently experiencing oversupply issues, overstock issues, because they haven't bought correctly. But it sounds like Maya have actually done a really good job of that. And obviously yeah. pushing people towards online as well. Um, look, in retail, they're one of the trusted names in retail. If you're age 60 and over, which is a growing part of the Australian population, you're 
you're going to go to the names you trust and having a big brand like Maya, you know, being able to offer a really good online experience um, would suggest that, you know, they're, they're well poised to capture that, that aging demographic, you know, who aren't as savvy, who aren't going to go, who may not trust, you know, more, more niche brands like a My Deal or a Catch or things like that. Um, but would look at Maya and go, I know Maya. I trust Maya. Look at the merchandising which you've got there. Look at the Maya One Rewards program, which I can have in store and online. Yeah, I'm just going to buy from Maya. Yeah, look, I, I, it would be wrong to say that you know we don't talk about trust enough because I think between you and I, you know, within within our agency, we talk about it all the time. We talk about it with our clients all the time. And I think the last time I, I was on here, we spoke about it as well. But it, it, it's important, I guess, to really come back to that, particularly when consumer confidence and consumer spending is down like it is, people will defer back to the things that they know and they trust. Um, and, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's what, and, you know, and again, for an e-commerce pro, uh, uh, podcast, we talk a lot about branding, but, but you know, that's, that is the importance of branding. You know, pe- people don't trust a price. They trust a, they trust a brand that can supply that price, in, in my opinion. And, you know, this is, a, you know, I think Maya's probably been, has benefited from people knowing Maya and trusting Maya and not being prepared to take as much of a risk outside of the things that they know and trust, which they might have done when their confidence and spending is up. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, you know, kudos to them for kind of really understanding their customer base, putting together a, a model that really suits them and matches what they, their customers need and supplying them um, and, and servicing them in, in the ways that they need it to be serviced. And, you know, it has its effect. You know, even, even though consumer spending is down, they're, they're doing really well. And, and, um, and that's, that's, that's what that hard work does. At the end of the day, it really boils back down to two things um, for me. It's about brand and product. You know, having the right product, which people want, people desire, and then having a brand, which then people trust so that they'll buy that product from you. So they'll, they'll fill that need from you. Um, and there's actually a story which I've been sitting on for a little while, but I'm going to share it with you now. Um, is that when you look at petrol, you know, fuel is like the ultimate commodity. Like unless you are a unless you're unless you are like an expert mechanic or you're lying, you cannot tell the difference between a fuel I buy from BP or fuel I buy from Ampol or fuel I buy from the from the independent store. Now I drive an electric car now, so this is not my problem anymore. But when it was, you know, it, I, I would people would tend to, and you know, you couldn't tell the difference, right? So when you think about fuel, it is the ultimate commodity. Like no one knows the difference between it. Like with clothes and food and things like that, yes, you can. There are slight subtle differences in it, which you could probably call out, like any, any lay person could call out. But with fuel, mm. really, I'm not a car. I don't know how it feels when, I, <laughs> you know, when, when, I'm, when I'm consuming this. So how do you know? So with that being said, you've got this thing, which is like the ultimate commodity. You got this product, which is the ultimate commodity. But yet every morning when I drive to the gym, I drive past two service stations on my way to the gym. One is an independent and the yeah. other is a BP. It's a BP, which is nicely decked out. It's got like a bakery and things like that. Um, and it looks, it looks, it looks really nice. They've, they've done it up really, really well. The bays are open and inviting and then. Less than 500 meters away, um, only a couple of hundred meters away, actually, is an independent service station, which is a little bit dingier. Yeah, they've got food there. They've got some bakery offerings and they advertise that, but it looks much dingier. It's much less inviting. It's much smaller. Um, but the petrol, though, is consistently about, you know, I'd probably say about, you know, 10 cents more. So, you know, when you see people lining up around the block for like two cents off, you know, I, I figure that, you know, a 10 cent difference is a material enough difference that people would 
want to drive a couple of hundred extra meters to be able to get to it if we thought rationally. Yeah. But the kicker is that we don't think rationally. We get motivated by things like brand and trust. And in this case, every morning when I drive past the gym to the gym and back from the gym, and this is like at 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. respectively, the BP, despite being cheaper and busier and more cars lined up, is consistently more full than the independent Mm. every single time. And it's not because of the product. Because they can't tell the difference between the product. It's all about the brand. And the trust which comes with that. And you know what? If I can if I can find a thread to keep bringing through all these stories, I do the exact same thing. Uh, I drive past. I, I I will consistently drive past two service stations to drive to the one um, right next to the freeway exit because it takes the loyalty program that I'm in. You know, I I, I we use everyday <laughs> rewards. I get my petrol from that Caltex because it has because I get everyday rewards benefits as a result. Um, it's probably ridiculous, and I, I don't. But I, I do. I almost do it without thinking. That's that's my service station because of the ample. The, the, not ample rewards because of because of the well, yeah. It is ample everyday rewards. rewards. It is the everyday rewards that I'm that I'm going there for, um, and you know. I don't know how much I'm saving as a result or whatever, but it's ridiculous. But on your point that people don't know the, the difference unless they're ex- experts, you drive an electric car, I drive a hybrid. So, you know, you know, to give ourselves a pat on the back for doing the right thing, right? But, you know, the I was talking to a mechanic <laughs> and he asked me, in my hybrid, do I put in the premium unleaded fuel or do I just put in the 91? And I was like, I'll just put in the 91. And he said... If you didn't take your car on the on the freeway every single day in your hybrid, you should be putting in higher uh, the higher quality fuel because it, without going hard, going harder and burning it off, you would be causing problems in your engine. It's like good to know. Nobody's ever told me that before. So interesting. But Some again, people- it's ninety one. It's the ninety one octane versus the ninety five or the ninety eight. I can't yeah. tell the ninety one octane between BP, Ampol, yeah. Mobile. Yeah. Independent star, whatever it is, there's you can't like between a 91, 95, 98. Sure, there might be differences between those, but it's the same product, it's the same product at yeah. any one of these, but it's where you choose to buy from. Yeah, absolutely. So, James, thank you very much for, for, for joining me on this emergency podcast. Um, Paul will be back in our next episode. Um, James, thank you very much for jumping on the show. Always a good time, thank you. Cool. And thank you, everyone. We will see you back here next week for This Week in E-Commerce.